Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. MLBC is led by Pastor Dennis Fountain and exists to help real people going through real life experience real change through our incredible God. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. This morning I want to ask you a question. Does your heart ache for the world that we live in, the hurt, the brokenness, the pain that's experienced all around our world? Certainly your community here is hurting and broken. Our country is hurting and broken. Uh, But no doubt the world is a broken place. If you travel to any of the countries that we get to go to, you'll just see incredible amount of uh, poverty and brokenness and hurt. And uh, sometimes I, I recognize the only difference between our country and other countries is that we have more resources to mask our pain and our brokenness, right? But we're broken people. But I wonder today how much time we spend thinking and helping and praying for the brokenness of our world, not just the physical brokenness. Sometimes it's easy for us to see poverty and have our heart break for the poverty and the the pain of that situation. But how often do we look at the world and see the spiritual darkness? You look around at your own community and see how many are just lost, trying to fill the void of life with everything, the void in our heart rather, with everything this life offers except for Jesus Christ. It's a dark world that we live in when you think of it in a spiritual lens. And so this morning I want to... Uh, point our hearts towards others. Help us to see the world the way God sees the world. And really, that's what Missions Month is all about. Uh, As Tammy stood up here and shared her testimony, uh, I was grateful for her, her sharing, and she was a great help on our team. But what her heart experienced as she went overseas, what her eyes experienced, what she felt, now affects her heart, and I think it helps her to see people in a different way. That's what Missions Month tries to do by bringing missions to you. Uh, Boy, if you can, go. I'll encourage you that. The very first missions trip I ever took was in 2012. I went to Guatemala, and I got to experience and see uh, another culture and the brokenness and the pain and all that goes along with it. And the Lord used that trip to really now put me to where I am, which is doing missions full time. I don't know what God would do in your heart, but if you can't ever go, I encourage you to go. Go and see a different culture. Go and see a different country. Experience something like that. Uh, But what Missions Month is designed to do is to bring the need of the world to you and to let you see it and experience, and hopefully it creates in you a a, a desire to help, a desire to give, a desire to partner in whatever way you can, because that's that's how God designed it. I think about the passage in Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. It says, you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. I'm no uh, English major, but I know that if it says and and both, that means simultaneously, right? It's not one or the other. And so as your heart breaks and you seek to reach the people around you in your community, don't forget that the commission that we've been given, the great commission of Matthew 28, is both. It's here and there. And that's the model that God's always had, is that local churches would partner with those who are willing to go and share the gospel in a foreign land, in a different country, in a different place. And so I thank you for your heart in doing that. But this morning, if I could, I want to bring missions um, 
can I use this term? And this is not insulting to you. It's more or less about me. I want to bring missions to the bottom shelf, okay? Uh, I'm a bottom shelf guy. Like, that's just where I live. Like, keep it simple for me, and I'm okay with it. And that's what I'd like to do for you this morning. Uh, you guys look at missions globally this month, right? You get to have missionaries come in from different parts of the world or have those phone calls, and you're looking into the global idea of missions, and it, it needs to be there. But there is also this thing about going, okay, let's make it personal as well. Let's make it, what is my mission? What am I called to do? And so that's what I want to look at. And um, what I've experienced in my Christian life is this. Um, The more I know about how big the world is, um, the more overwhelming the responsibility of the Great Commission can be. Uh, We've been told to to go and to tell others, to make uh, disciples, to preach the gospel, to baptize, these sorts of things. That's what we're called to do. Um, But would you... Acknowledge with this morning that sometimes it can be a bit overwhelming. <laughs> like, it's a big world that we live in. And if we only think of it from the 30,000-foot view, the big picture, I think that we might have some more empathy, but sometimes we might not know what to do because it's such a big, massive command. And so this morning, I want to look at an example from Jesus Christ. If I'm going to title the message, it would be, How Did Jesus Reach the Lost? How did Jesus do what we've been commanded to do. That's really the essence of what we're going to talk about today. I want to encourage you, anything that we're called to do as Christians, no matter what it is, relationally, um, the Great Commission, whatever it is, we can look at the Bible and it tells us how we're to do what we're supposed to do. But we can also look specifically at the life of Christ. How did Jesus do what we're supposed to do? That's us being Christ-like and looking at his example. So that's what I want to look at in John chapter 9. The setting and the situation here as we enter into our passage is um, Jesus has at this point in his ministry claimed to be the Messiah. He has uh, made that claim and that claim has spread around the local region and it has solicited, if you would, a lot of different responses. If you read the Gospels, you see like there's some people that are following Jesus out of curiosity. There's always crowds coming around everywhere he goes and they're interested. They're not yet sure if they believe or not, but they're just around Uh, There's those who absolutely are against Jesus being the Messiah. No, you could not be the Messiah. You're from Nazareth. That's not possible. And they say, no, that's not the Messiah, the Savior of the world that we've been looking forward to. But then there's those who are disciples, those who Jesus has called, and they're the closest ones to him at this time. But there's always people around. And if we look at the verse right before John chapter 9, the last verse in John chapter 8, I want you to understand the setting and kind of the context of our story. It says this. It says, Then they took up stones to cast at him. The they there are the religious leaders of the day, and the him is Jesus. And so he had made another claim of being the Messiah, and they literally picked up these stones to throw at him, but he hid himself, it says, and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, that's the crowd, and so passed by. And that's kind of where we pick up our story in John chapter 9. So as Jesus is just going about his daily life, how did Jesus do what we are commanded to do? I want to take just a couple of minutes and talk to you about that. Can we pray before we begin? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for this local church. Thank you for each and every one that's here, part of this local body, reaching this community. But Lord, thank you for their heart to uh, reach around the world through these global partnerships to extend the gospel beyond even where they can go. Lord, help us to open up our hearts this morning to what you would have from the scripture. It's your name we pray. Amen. The first verse in John chapter 9 reads, as Jesus, if we could, I'll just walk through John chapter 9, and we'll just read it kind of verse by verse. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. 
Uh, now, what we know about this is it's coming off of John chapter 8. He gets those stones thrown at him, and he's passing by. Uh, I would picture it to be to where Jesus is walking down a road of some sort, probably a dirt road, and there's somebody there. There's a man presumably begging, because that's what one would do in that day, of course. There's no system to take care of this man. So he's there probably begging on a, a busy road, and he was blind from his birth. The first thing I want to draw out from the example of Jesus Christ is Jesus always saw people as individuals. And you might be thinking, oh, yeah, of course, people are individuals, right? Like, Joseph, I get that. Again, bottom shelf, right? Come on. Um, But Jesus didn't look at people and just see crowds. Like, even today, I'm looking out, and there's a bunch of you out in front of me, and it's easy for me to just kind of continue to scan over top of you. That's what's more comfortable, right? But Jesus, like, had this idea of, like, dialing in on somebody, in recognizing them for who they were. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus stops and acknowledges somebody, even though there's a big group of people. When we do our clinics, we often get hundreds and thousands of people to come to them, but we focus on somebody because everybody matters to God. And Jesus looked at this person as just an individual, somebody who he loved, somebody who was created in the image of God Almighty, somebody who had value. Can I ask you this morning, when you see people... What do you see? Uh, For me, I I recently moved to Atlanta, Georgia area. That's where the home base is for our ministry. Can I tell you, in Atlanta, Georgia, there are entirely too many people for the roads that are there, for the grocery stores. There's just too many of us. Um, It's out of control. And so when I look at people, too often I look at more lines, more traffic, uh, more problems, more issues, all these different things. But Jesus, he had a way of seeing people and seeing them in the image of how God Almighty would see them, and of course how he saw himself as the Savior of the world. For us to look at the example of Jesus this morning, when we think about missions, the first step is seeing people the way God sees them, as someone who he loves, someone who he cares for. I noticed that Jesus didn't see people as projects or as problems. The truth is, in our uh, you know, humanity, we know that people actually do represent projects and problems. People are messy. People are needy. If, if you as a local church were to take in my wife and I and our three rambunctious children into your local body of Christ, can I tell you, you would inherit some problems into your church because everybody present, represents problems, right? We all come with our own sense of problems and messiness and relational issues. But what Jesus did is he didn't look at this man just for the, what he lacked, for the problems that he represented. He looked at him as somebody who he loved and who he cared for. For us to be like Christ, we must do the same. When we see people, what do we see? Let's look at verse number two. It says, uh, his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. So again, as we understand our story, here's Jesus walking by, the blind man's on the side of the road, and I would presume that Jesus stopped and maybe glanced at him, maybe took a couple of seconds, and the disciples thought this would be a good idea to clear up some cultural misunderstandings. Because in this day and age, um, it would have been believed that um, if somebody's born blind or uh, lame, you know, can't walk, whatever their physical issue is, it's because somebody had sinned and it's the result of that. And so when Jesus stops, he fixes his eyes on this man and he looks at him, no doubt, with eyes of care and compassion and love. And the disciples, they see the man, uh, but they notice the wrong thing. The disciples saw the same man, but noticed something completely different. They looked at him and said, hey, what went wrong here, Jesus? Tell us what what should have been that didn't happen here. 
And listen, if we're not careful, Christians, let me tell you this, and I, I have to be guilty of this myself as I go into other countries and other uh, rough situations, let us never stop and question the what went wrongs when we see the situations when Jesus is saying, just love who's in front of you. This is an opportunity to care for them, to love them. We can question what political systems are broken. We can question what uh, education didn't get finished when we see a young person acting up, what relationship failed here. Whatever the system is that failed, we can question all those things. But Jesus, he looked at this man and didn't see all that. He saw hope. He saw a future. He saw that there's no one that's too far gone to be reached by the love of Christ. No matter how much money one has or doesn't have, no matter the color of their skin, no matter their background, no matter how much they've messed up, God still sees hope in them, and that's how we should see people. How do you see people this morning? I'm guilty of seeing them the way that you often do as well, just as more problems, more projects, more issues, the rough side of town, this side of town, all these different things. We, we all have those same human thoughts, but for us to be more like Christ, we need to stop and say, every single person is somebody God created and made in his image. And when we think that way, I think that's the foundation for Missions Month. That's the foundation for us saying, okay, because I believe that, now I'm willing to give more towards reaching those people. I don't know those people. I don't understand those people. But because I know that God loves them, I can give towards reaching them. Because I, God loves them, I can stop and take time to help them. That's the foundation for missions. But let's continue our story in John chapter, uh, or verse number three. Jesus answered, remember they asked him a question, who sinned, this man or his parents? Jesus answered the question, neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And that could be a whole message right there. He's saying, listen, this is here for God's glory. That's why this man's here. But notice how quickly he shifts the focus in verse number four. He said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I think Jesus wanted to teach the disciples and perhaps even us today a lesson. He answered their question, yes. He said, listen, this man's here for the glory of God. But what he wanted them to know is that we only have so much time on this side of eternity. We notice here that Jesus lived with urgency because he knew his time was short. Think about it. Jesus only had but uh, three years of earthly ministry, really doing uh, his ministry on earth. He knew the cross was coming. But what he wanted the disciples to know is that, hey, listen, there's only so much time. He uses the, the metaphor. There's only so much time before night falls. We must work the works of him that sent us while it is day. And he wanted them to know, you can spend all the time you want looking at the problem, questioning the problem, wondering what went wrong. And Jesus is simply saying, or we can help the problem. We can fix and point him to what he needs to know. Um, often when we work, uh, have you ever worked against the clock? You've had a timeline to accomplish something? Uh, even now, if I'm being honest, um, and your pastor faces this every week, anybody who speaks in church, there's a certain amount of time you guys all expect to be here this, after, or this morning, right? I'm working against a clock in a sense. You guys know what time it is, don't lie. Um, we all know what time it is. That clock on the back wall is reminding me um, of what time it is, and there's an expected time for us to go home and eat lunch. Our stomachs tell us that, right? But because there's a time, an allotted amount of time, it doesn't cause me to just say, well, let's, let's stop here. No, I have a certain amount of things I'm trying to accomplish, 
in this amount of time. And so therefore, I'm speaking very, you could say, intentionally. We could talk about a lot of other things. We could talk about football. I saw the Seattle Seahawks Stadium for the first time in my life yesterday as I flew into Seattle. That was cool. Uh, Washington football, if you guys like that. They got a big win yesterday, right? Like, we could talk a lot, a lot of other things, but we're not going to spend the remaining 10 minutes here talking about all of that. I'm going to spend my remaining 10 minutes intentionally sharing what I want to share with you. Uh, It's like, uh, how many of you have ever done an escape room? You guys know the escape rooms? Nobody? A couple of you? Okay. An escape room is a funny thing to try to explain to people outside of our country, because I've tried to do it before. You know, you're, you're there in a different country, and you're like, so in America, we do this thing for fun. Um, there's a building, and you pay the people to lock you inside of a room, and you have to figure out how to get out of the room in a certain amount of time. Like, wait, you pay them to lock? Yeah, yeah, it's just what we do for fun, right? It's, it's the United States. We have nothing else to do with our time and money, apparently. Um, but in an escape room, you have like six or eight people together, right? Like you get a group of people, maybe it's your friends, maybe it's family, whatever. And you go into this room and there's a bunch of clues. And they, um, they give you like a flashlight, you got like a black light flashlight and you got these padlocks here and the, you know, you got to flip this thing over, all these different things to do and your clues get you in one place to the next. And every time I've done an escape room, it's a similar type of a feeling when you're in that room. No matter who I do the escape room with, whether it's somebody older than me, younger than me, different than me, when we get in that room, we are so stinking unified. Like, you think that we are like, um, you know, the um, Marines going into an overseas combat or something, right? Like, we're focused. We're dialed. There's somebody over here doing this. Somebody's flipping this up. Like, you're moving quick. You're intentional. You're focused. You're not spending time gossiping about the neighbor or what happened yesterday or talking about the where'd you get those shoes. Like, you're in it. You're in the zone. And the crazy thing is, the whole reason we behave that way, because again, it's all made up. Like an escape room is make-believe, right? Like they can just open the door if they want to open the door, right? But we're so intense and we're so focused, and there's only one reason why. You know what it is? Because they put a big old clock on the wall, and they count down that clock, typically from like 60 minutes. And boy, you get in there, and it seems like the first five minutes goes by so fast. Like, we haven't done anything. There's there's 55 minutes left. You're like, come on, let's go, let's go. We're doing all these things, and you're watching that clock just go down. And you're trying to beat that clock and get as much done as you can before that clock. Can I tell you today, my friends, each and every one of us, each and every one of you have a clock on our life on this side of eternity, and we only have so much time to impact all of eternity. Like, isn't that reality kind of sobering? Like, we all have this clock. Why then do we spend so much time doing everything but what impacts eternity? Because I get stuck in this trap too. Like, I'm, I'm spending energy and money and all this stuff on so many different things that will have no impact on the other side of eternity. And what Jesus wanted the disciples to know, and I think what he wants us to know, is that we only have so much time. And so what are we going to do with that amount of time? What are we going to give with the the resources that we have, the skill sets we have, the ability to reach people the way we have? What are we going to do with the time we have? There is a clock on all of our life. Uh, Continue in verse number six. Uh, When he had thus spoken, when Jesus had thus spoken, he spat on the ground. He spit on the ground. He made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said unto him, go, wash in the pool of Shalom, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. Hey, I see here that when Jesus recognized a need, he was then moved to action. It would have been one thing for Jesus to stop and notice this man who everybody else was just walking by, outcast of society. 
Jesus stopped and he saw him and what he saw affected his heart and his heart affected his actions. You could say he was moved with compassion is what the scriptures tell us that happens in Jesus' life. Moved with compassion that he wanted to do something for what he saw. Um, not, it, Jesus, he had this interesting way of, if, if you look at the gospels and study the life of Christ, Jesus, he didn't live busy, it didn't appear, but he lived very intentional. Jesus was often, remember our story started with as Jesus passed by and then he stops and sees this man. Like he was going somewhere that day. He had something to do that day, but he, he, he took time to stop what he was doing and care for this man. See this man, listen to this man. What does he need? Uh, I'm guilty of this and I'm sure you can relate with me because our society is just so good at this. We've just become professional busybodies. Like we're so busy with everything except for kingdom work, except for the things that matter. And Jesus shows us a model here of saying, listen, be willing to take a time out and care for someone and love someone and, and be intentional with your actions. Uh, but as I've tried to do this in my life, I'll be honest that there are times, if not often, that the needs around us, whether they be spiritual or physical needs around us, are so great, can be so overwhelming that we actually end up just becoming paralyzed to doing anything. If your heart really wants to help people, uh, you, you start doing this and doing that, and you just get like, there's so much. I'm just going to go back to living my life and putting my head in the sand and not having to worry about the world's problems and everybody else's problems. But as Christians, we're called to be the salt and light. We're called to love others. And what are, how are we going to meet those needs? A pastor shared this quote with me uh, many years ago. And it stuck with me, and it impacts me on an almost daily basis. He said, do for one what you would like to do for all. And that has helped me so much because my heart breaks for our world. My heart breaks for my own community. All my, I want to help everybody. If we could ask you today, hey, if we could snap our fingers or wave a wand and uh, meet all the physical needs of your community, the brokenness and the hurt, would you want to do that? Of course. If we could have them all know the gospel message and accept Jesus Christ in their life, could, would you want that? Yes, of course. Then let's do for one what we would like to do for all. Our ministry has to have the same approach. As we go around the world, we see so much hurt and brokenness but the person we can reach is the one that's right in front of us. God brings people into our life, and that's who we're called to reach. And so do for one what you would like to do for all. Quickly as I close, I often notice that Jesus often addresses physical needs even before addressing spiritual needs. This is really the model of our ministry. We bring people to a place where they, they have physical needs, and so we care for them and we love them, but it's also that we can help them spiritually. But I believe that's what we also could do with our, our evangelism, our, our, our way that we're supposed to fulfill the Great Commission, helping people right where they are. Do you know that if you're a Christian here, if you're a follower of Christ, you know every person's greatest need is to know Jesus as their Savior. You know that, right? But what people often feel their greatest need is is something completely different. It's what their, their physical ailment is or what their shortcoming is, what they're lacking. And so Jesus said, I'm gonna help people right where they are so that I can tell them, about what they need to know. Uh, if we were to continue reading this story, we don't have time this morning, but uh, you would see that this man goes and washes his eyes and he can see. For the very first time, 
His eyes are open, and he can, he can see people's faces. He can see the clouds, the trees, all the different things. And he's walking around just in utter amazement. And if you read in the verses 8, 9, 10, it goes on that some of his friends, his neighbors, it calls them, see him, and they're like, oh, my goodness, what is this guy? That's, isn't that the, you know, the blind man, the guy who's always begging? Yeah, what, what happened to him? So they walk up to him, and they're like, Dude, what happened? And he's like, listen, this is crazy. So I'm sitting there. I'm begging like I always am, right? And this group of people comes by. This guy puts some stuff on my eyes and uh, tells me to go wash it off. I wash it off, and boom, I can see. And they're like, no way. And they're like, I wonder if it was, you think it was Jesus? Who was it? He's like, well, listen, I was blind. I don't know. But a lot of people were talking about Jesus. And so it may have been Jesus. And they're like, interesting. Come with us. And so they walk him into uh, the temple. And they, uh, they say, hey, Tell, tell the, the leaders about what you told us. And he's like, guys, listen, this is crazy. So I'm sitting there, I'm begging like I always am, and um, uh, this group walks by, I think it was Jesus, uh, put this stuff in my eyes, told me to wash, I could wash and now I can see. And they're like, when did that happen? He's like, just today, like, this is the first day I can see. And they look at their uh, Rolex, and they're like, uh, today is the Sabbath day. If that's Jesus, he, he can't be doing that. And so they call in the guy's parents just to confirm one more time. Verse number 20, they ask the parents, hey, uh, tell us what you think about this. And the parents are like, listen, this is our son, but we don't know what he's saying. Like, whatever, whatever he says is up to him. We're not taking his side. And so they say, tell us again what happened. The guy literally gives his whole story once again. I was sitting there begging. I was blind. I don't know exactly, but what I know has happened is that a group of people walked by. I think it was Jesus. Put this stuff in my eyes. I washed, and now I can see. And in verse number 34 is where we pick up Uh, the end of that story. Look at verse number 34. They answered and said unto him that the day is the spiritual leaders, if you would, of that day of the temple. They said unto the blind man, thou wast altogether born in sins and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. But verse number 35, Jesus, you see, Jesus heard they had cast him out. And when he had found him, He said unto him, there's a lot of pronouns there, so let me explain the pronouns. And when Jesus had found the man who had been blind, Jesus said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? Remember, he had never seen him before. And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it's he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. What should have been the greatest day of this man's life, His eyes were open. His physical need was met. He got thrown out, betrayed by the leaders of the day, uh, abandoned by his own parents, and he's standing there all alone. But Jesus went and found him. Can I tell you this morning that Jesus always seeks to heal and redeem mankind. Jesus knew it was not enough for this man to simply have his eyes fixed. It was not enough for him to simply be able to see physically. Jesus said he needs more to be made whole, to be made complete. And can I tell you this morning that there is a void, there's an aching in every person's heart. It does not matter what country they live in, what culture they're from. And that void can only be filled through Jesus Christ. Today, you may have come and, and you've been searching in a lot of places. You may have been following in the trap of what this man thinks is, if I could just get my this, then I would be happy. I would be whole. But can I tell you that we can grasp and we can go at everything that this world offers and we still won't be made whole and we still won't be made complete until we know who Jesus is. When this man found Jesus, he was made whole. He was made complete. 
And so as we close today, I want to ask you just a couple of things. Can we first appreciate, just like Jesus went and found this man, he wants a relationship with you as well. I don't know where everybody is this morning spiritually. I don't know if you know Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you've come for a while and you're curious about the things of God, or maybe this is your first time here. I don't know. But just like Jesus went and found this man, I can say with confidence that Jesus is searching for you as well. He wants a relationship with you. He sees you as an individual. He knows your needs. He knows your hurt. He knows your brokenness. He knows the hairs on your head, and he wants a relationship with you. All you have to do is receive that relationship. He's coming for you. He wants that relationship. And so this morning, if you don't know him as your Savior, I would encourage you to accept his love into your life today. But then for those who do know Jesus, well, we've been given a great command, a great commission. Go and tell the world about it. It's no small thing. But let us not get overwhelmed with the magnitude of that command. Let us say, how did Jesus do what we're called to do? How are we going to reach others? Well, let's, it starts with how we see them. How are we going to see people? Let's see people the way Jesus saw them, with eyes of love and care and compassion. Let's, let's stop and help people right where they are. Let's listen to what their needs are. Maybe it's going to cost us something. Maybe it's going to cost us some time or some resources. We can't do it for everybody, but could we do for one what we would like to do for all? But then let's never forget that it's not the physical needs that's going to provide wholeness and healing and completion. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so let's take the opportunity to love people right where they are so that we can point them to the one who can make them whole and complete.